welcome back to another episode of Working Wife, Happy Life. This is your host, Bethany Baines. As we all continue to live through this awful pandemic, we are definitely learning more and more about ourselves and those in our immediate circles. But also I keep thinking about how we're going to reemerge into our normal lives and hopefully the near future. Like, how are we going to behave socially? Or which parts of COVID awareness will remain with us? Like overly sanitizing our hands or getting cocktails to go from your favorite restaurants. I'm just curious which parts of this are going to stick. And I think there's impacts from this that are going to last for the rest of our lives, kind of in the way we talk about generations past, like, oh, well, they lived through the Depression, and that's why they yada yada. So to that end, I actually had a bit of a personal epiphany recently, and it's completely ridiculous, so please bear with me. But as some of you may know, I have kind of an unhealthy obsession with paper products, Like, I literally feel my anxiety peak when we're running low on paper towels or toilet paper and when I have a stocked house with selectized paper towels or toilet paper or tissues, I can literally feel a physical release. Um, And I've always just thought this is a weird and quirky thing, and and I know this is random, but stick with me. The epiphany that I had and why I share that tangent with you is growing up, my my grandmother lived in a mother-in-law suite attached to our house, and she was financially comfortable and independent despite retiring in her mid-40s. She was a very savvy investor, but she was also extremely frugal and really viewed waste of any kind as a sin. And one habit I specifically remember is she used to reuse paper towels. So if you went into her kitchen, you would see paper towels drying on a string above her sink so she could reuse them later. And while we used to tease her about it, I get it now, right? She lived through the depression. She knew what it was to want. um, And these were habits that she picked up to save and reduce waste. So now I, as an adult, have an odd obsession with ensuring there's a plethora of these items in my own home. So like what of this time will we carry with us and how will that impact the generations that come both in large and small ways? Um, It's fascinating, maybe a bit ridiculous, but there you go. That's a little peek into the things that keep my neurons firing. But now in honor of my investment savvy and generally badass grandma, I'm super excited to introduce today's guest. Brooke Harley is the founder and CEO of Class Rebel, which is an accessible platform focused on democratizing lifelong learning, particularly in areas of building wealth and honing your side hustle. In this episode, we discuss education as wellness and quality of life, the importance of different sources of income streams throughout this 100-year life, why it's important for women and people of color particularly to control more capital. We discuss angel investing, raising funds, and thinking about other investment classes, whether it's art or real estate or public equities, and why you shouldn't just think of your day job as your only earning potential. Huge bit of advice there. So tune in to this chock-full episode filled with sound advice and information on a platform that can help you make this all into a reality. Here is my conversation with Brooke. All right, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us on Working Wife, Happy Life. 
It Welcome. is a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so glad that our paths cross because I have heard your name several times through several sources, you know, internally at Google and then externally through my network. Um, you came in to speak to the Google community uh, last Monday, I believe it was. And I'm so happy. This is my favorite thing to do is to have guests that can connect with our community inside Google and then my community outside of Google. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for making the time twice to uh, participate. Yeah, well, I mean, Google kind of came into my life so serendipitously. I had one Google employee come into one of my courses, Fundraising 101, and she loved it so much that she told other employees and then they told other employees and it's been actually a relationship that's developed so nicely um since the summer i'd say of 2019 awesome. so you know and it like uh, you know i've never worked at google but there's something going on in the culture there where you just seem to attract some of the nicest folks some of the smartest folks and it's such a pleasure to always have people from google in the class which we always do so it this has been a, such a such a gift actually for, for class rebel and for me to be connecting with folks from Google. I really feel that way. That's so awesome to hear. Thank you. Um, that's actually a great introduction. Can you share, I, I want to get into your personal background, but for our listeners that are going to want to tune in and potentially take a lot of notes during this conversation, can you share, uh, with us what class rebel is? Yeah. Class rebel is a modern education company. We deliver current skill sets, live um, at a price that all can afford and anyone can attend. Um, you know, Class Rebel, the name is a reference to uh, a rebellion on the class system. We actually think that education is a peaceful protest against class inequality, but the name is also a reference to um, that independent thinker that you think of when you think of a Class Rebel. Mm -hmm. So really, Class Rebel came out of the concept that we're living a hundred year life, you know, and when you think about how we order ourselves in society today, you know, we stop formally learning at 21. And I just mm -hmm. think, what are we, what are we doing for 80 years? Are we doing Netflix, you know, for 80 years? Like, how are we, you know, continuing to develop? So I think of education and access as, you know, an equality issue, but I really think of education for our whole lives as a um, quality of life issue, akin, mm. akin to healthcare, truly. Um, we stop investing in it because it's so unaffordable, but mm -hmm. we have all the technology today to make current modern skill sets affordable and available to all. So why isn't anyone doing it? Yeah. And is, and is class rebel focused on, I, I know there's a investment educational series. Is it focused solely on financial literacy? Is it focused solely on investing? So when I, when I speak to investors, because we're adventure backed, how I describe it is um, we're launching two streams to start side hustle and wealth and side hustle means, you know, creating your own um, side business income stream. And then wealth is, you know, around all the different asset classes you can invest in. So developing courses around those two streams um, because we're responding to the cultural sentiment that, you know, in this hundred year life, you can't be dependent on one employer to get you through. Most people cannot. There's too much change with technology um, and this whole cultural construct of retiring at 65. This isn't working. So we believe in the culture there's for a long time, there's been this sentiment of of really diversifying where your money is coming from, your employer, but what's your side hustle, but what are you making off of investments? 
Um, so really delivering as a start um, really modern, up-to-date courses around those topics um, at a price that everyone can afford, which is 50 bucks for eight hours of live instruction um, and available to everyone, not just if you work at a great place like Google, not if you're just also enrolled in a school right now, literally direct-to-consumer Anyone can can join and develop themselves. Um, so imagine courses, you know, taught by taught by someone who's on the front lines of it every day in cryptocurrency, right? I think a lot of people would like to learn the foundations of that. People have made you know great investments off cryptocurrency. They've lost a lot too, but they've made some as well. That's mm -hmm. a modern skill set. Mm -hmm. Understanding blockchain and crypto, I don't understand it. You know, yeah, um, understanding what I teach, which is angel investing. Um, so investing in startups you really believe in, uh, or raising money for the concepts, you know, the businesses that you're forming, that's a modern skill set. We're launching another course in the new year, um, originally taught by Jody Manel, uh, which is building your million person following. And she built it around the vegan movement, mm. um, which is part of why she grew so quickly is building it around a positive movement in the world. And, you know, she was she comes from no particular privilege and she was acquired for, you know, I won't disclose the amount, but she learned how to do this herself. You know, it's a, it's a modern skill set that um, is valuable. You know, yeah. they're not, they're not teaching anywhere at an affordable price for all. Right. Or there's, you know, an, a, a, what I love about the way you've structured your programming too, is there's people who are, have a passion area and want to learn how to launch it. And frankly, there's a lot of services out there that will charge you quite a handsome sum of money to do it for you. And you don't know whether or not that's going to be successful. So there's that one track of how do you kind of bolster your passion projects or your, your calling in these areas. But then the other side of it is, well, can I just make my money work for me? Where can I diversify? Like you're saying, I'm I've been at Google for 17 years. That's a very rare instance in our generation. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, a lot of us, I, I always thought that was so odd, at least in the United States, where your healthcare follows you based on your job. Your 401k is based on your job. So it's like, it's so unpredictable and it's so inconsistent that you're really talking about building wealth around yourself versus around a company. It's really lowering your own personal level of vulnerability and making sure you have income streams from different sources, you know, in this hundred year life, because we're living longer. We need to think more carefully about where our money is coming from and how to sustain ourselves in a hundred year life. Um, but even more so when technology is ripping up every industry and things are changing so quickly. I mean, Google is rarefied error right? Your jobs are stable and they will be for a long time, but that's not true of a lot of other companies and industries. You know, it's just not. Yeah. So, so we're launching with side hustle and wealth as, you know, modern affordable skill sets um, that anyone can access. And it's really, they're taught by street fighters, people that have done it, right? People yeah. that have been successful at it, you know, not the kind of academia taught in theory. It's like, no, I'm, I'm in this every day. Truly I'm in this every day. So, and every, every instructor we bring on is in it every day because mm -hmm. past 21, right. That's, that's who we want to learn from. We are willing to accept the authority. I think of academia when we're in our early twenties, you know, but after that, we want to learn from people that are in it every day, the professionals, right. The street fighters yeah. that are, that know it. And that's, you know, today how we learn 
you know, as adults, most of us is we're trying to cobble together what we want to know from audiobooks, from podcasts, from TED Talks, from YouTube. And what we believe at Class Rebel is there's actually a market past audiobooks and podcasting, um, and it's the eight-hour live course. So just like Gimlet, uh, back in the day, it was like podcasting, going to be a thing, right? Mm-hmm. They were right. Spotify acquired them for hundreds of millions. Um, our thesis is there's actually a market past podcasting, and it's the eight-hour live course, and we want to nail it. Mm-hmm. We want to own it. We want to be the Gimlet of the eight-hour live course. So that's really our vision, and we think that the world would truly benefit from it. And if we don't do it, somebody else will, because I think it's an opportunity waiting to happen. And I love, I love the uh, like democratizing of it in terms of the low barrier of entry to take advantage of such a rich amount of education at $50, right? So there's not, there's, there's, you know, it is an investment in yourself that most people can easily make. Um, and then you're kind of, you had this phrase when we first talked, I think it was like a student for life or something, you can come in and, and, and digest the content um, and, and engage with your content in a really meaningful and kind of long-term way. Yeah. And so our model is pay once, attend forever. And um, we really felt that that was important because we aim to really undercharge and overdeliver. So we pack a lot you know, we don't build a course unless we're going to move you 10 years ahead in your skill set. And so the material is quite dense. And so we know that for it to really cement that people need the invitation to come back live as many times as they want or watch the videos as many times as they want, as much as you need to come back to really cement the learnings, you can do that. And um, I got that idea of, you know, um, I was in ground school. So I, um, I have a pilot's license and ground school was way harder than I thought. I was going to stop you because I'm like, did she say grad school? Ground, ground school. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and um, I deep, I deeply underestimated like the level of commitment and difficulty in learning how to fly. And the model that this ground school had was like, you pay once 500 bucks for ground school and you can come back a number of times. And as I was managing, a, you know, a professional career and relationships, you know, I needed that ability to come back over and over without having to pay over and over. Mm-hmm. And so the pay once attend forever model was really inspired by ground school. And I found it so valuable. I mean, what we understand about people is when they're, you know, taking new courses as adults, they're shoehorning it into their life around their kids, around their job, mm-hmm. around their spouses, around every other responsibility that they have. So we need options on how you do it. Come live as many times as you want. Watch the videos as many times as you want. Eventually, we'll be cutting this into podcast format so you can listen in your car, refresh in your car. We do understand people need options, but yeah. we always offer live because we think it's the highest quality learning experience. Yeah. Wait, can we go back to ground school? Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. one quick second. So wait, what type of pilot's license do you have? What types of aircrafts did you fly? So um, I think, you know, I did all my training in Canada where I'm from, but I think this really counts for the US too, is the typical training plane that you go on is a is a Cessna. So it's usually a two-seater or a four-seater, a Cessna 152 or a 172, and you train on those types of planes. And um, 
yeah, I mean, you learn lots of interesting things, landing and taking off, of course, but like, you know, I've heard the training is different in Canada where we end up doing things that are like a lot of emergency situations, like forced approaches and spins and stalls and some pretty crazy stuff. But I mean, I always wanted to learn it. And when I left law and started working at Lululemon, I had found I had time because the the hours at Lululemon were just more unpredictable than practicing law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's dig in there. I my dad used to fly planes when I was younger, so I was always up in a little, the little yeah. two seater with the um, the whatever you call them, the little handles here. But um, so tell us a little bit about your background because you have a fascinating kind of arc prior to founding Class Rebel. Can you share your background? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm originally trained as an M&A attorney. And, uh, you know, I used to do transactions and I used to draft up stock option plans and all the things that junior corporate attorneys do. And, um, you know, I come from a family of lawyers. And so I wanted to go go further than that and learn learn more. I went back to do my MBA. And honestly, four days after I left a cushy law job, Lehman Brothers went down and I, you know, was a hundred grand in debt with this MBA. And I thought this is the worst financial and professional decision I've ever made to leave law. And I, and I came out of, you know, the program with a job, but I mean, barely, Um, Mm -hmm. I nearly lost my house to the bank and I, and I got a job offer from the CFO of Lululemon Mm. and the stock was, you know, in the garbage and, the company seemingly had wasn't doing well, but I convinced him to hire me. There was no job opening or anything. And because I used to draft stock option plans for a living, I was so focused on the option part of the comp and I left sort of everything else, you know, salary bonus, just, just left that because I didn't think it was as important. So I negotiated for options and then the next six years was the best job I ever had. Hmm. Um, there was great people at that company. It, the culture there reminds me of the people I encounter at Google. Um, I had a really cool job taking the company into Europe and Asia. We did about 16 countries at once. It was it was so much fun. Um, but during that time, the stock increased like 800%. And we teach stock options, you know, in, in our courses because mm-hmm. understanding this is is critical. I mean, it, can, it, it was life-changing for me. And it's oh, not that hard to learn how it works. Yep. Um, and so the stock increased and it and it gave me that windfall. And that's when I started to hunt around for, you know, what if I could find the next Lululemon before it went public? Mm. So the first one I tried to get into, like just press my face against the glass. I didn't know anything about venture. I knew nothing, but I just tried to, you know, invest was Canada Goose. And of course, like, you know, my baby check was not interesting to them. Bain Capital out of Boston comes in and invests and then takes them public. But the one that I did get into was a company called Native Shoes, which was bankrupt yeah. at the time eight years ago. But now, you know, a lot of parents do know it. Mm-hmm. It's the number one selling k- kids shoe on Zappos. So that was, you know, a great first investment. And then from there, I left Lululemon and I raised a $32 million fund. And this story does take a dark turn. Um, but it was two years of fundraising, 900 no's, 100 yeses. I'd brought on a couple of partners and then, you know, after two years of fundraising and getting that money committed, there was a big food fight among the partners. And the, and the way a fund is legally structured is that a partner can pull what's called the key man terms. And, and there was a fight over control and equity and, and a partner did that. And all that hard, hard work came down in a mm. day. Oh, my I'd God. Never, I'd never 
had a setback quite like that. It was really heartbreaking and, um, you know, but it led me to what I'm doing now. And, and so what I decided to do, you know, after that, once I collected myself, cause it was quite painful, um, what I decided to do is put together these courses, fundraising 101 and angels 101, put something out there in the world, positive in place of something that I'd lost. And, um, because I mean, it doesn't take you long as an investor or a founder of anything that involves raising money to realize like who is getting the money. I mean, it's extreme, you know, the bias towards who is allowed to manage capital and control capital and benefit from the control of capital. Mm -hmm. It's not women. It's not people of color. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not people from any educational pedigree lower than a Harvard, Wharton or Stanford. I mean, it's changing, but barely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the class system around who controls capital is, I think, as in your face as it gets. Yeah. And so I just thought there's so much opportunity wrapped up in if you can raise money for your business, if you can get into a startup that you have the experience to tell, it could be a winner. You know, there's so much, there's so much opportunity, life-changing opportunity, if you have a skill set around that, that let's just teach anyone who wants to learn. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching them in person at the native headquarters, flipped on Zoom so people around the world could attend if they wanted, came to New York to teach. People started flying in because it's New York, of course. I mean, yeah. you know, they would they would plan their trips around this course, but and then also take advantage of the city. And that's when they I would teach in these Instagram worthy spaces. Um, because my friend Polly was a sex tech entrepreneur, so her office was so cool. People Sorry, would take foot sex tech. Uh, my friend Polly Rodriguez, I taught in her headquarters, and she has a sex tech company or a, a femme tech company um, called Unbound. Okay. So vibrators, vibrators. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and so she oh, had this Instagram industry. It's not yeah, new at so, all. <laughs> yeah. So she had this Instagram where the office, and then I noticed people were, you know, taking pictures and showing off, you know, on social that they were like investing themselves for the weekend. They were taking this cool course, and that's when I was like. Continuing education is the crustiest thing. No one would ever show it off on social media. Like most adults, if they're taking a course, you know, at 35 or 40 in their heads, they're like, what did I, what wrong turn in my life mm-hmm. did I take? This whole continuing education sector is so crusty. It makes people feel bad. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that learning for your whole life is foundational to our happiness. I think it's yeah. a wellness issue. Yeah. But I also think it's an opportunity and, and class issue as well. Um, so that's when it struck me. I mean, let's build a vertical education brand. I mean, I see everything now through the lens of Lululemon vertical brand. And, you know, when I did the math on the numbers, I'm like the P&L of, of a vertical education brand looks a lot like Lululemon, like very high margin product. Um, and when I started talking to education investors, they were like, no, you're right about that. I was like, okay, like this actually, not only is this a business that can good do do good for people at a price we believe you know most can afford for for this level of education um you know we can make money for investors too it's a win-win-win you know we can also raise the profile of of our instructors tell their personal story right get their their businesses growing um so we don't see any drawbacks to this model not not one um so so it's really you know it, it being able to help, you know, people at scale, 
yeah. with education on modern skill set that everyone can afford. I mean, that, I think that's what motivates me every day. But it, I've noticed it attracts talent as well. Yeah, um, and to come you, and help. Are Are you seeing that scale now with the pandemic and everybody, you know, getting more more comfortable, more access? Are you seeing that scale grow even more, or are you excited to get back to the in person or both? Well, you know. The pandemic has definitely accelerated a behavior pattern that we needed it to have, mm -hmm. which is you, if you want to learn, it's like you put on your sweatpants, line up your snacks, pour your glass of wine, and you learn at home, right? That was a behavior we need um, to become normalized for Class Rebel, which the pandemic did that. So no one is going to think twice if we say, we're going to have 800 people in a class sitting around the world. You know, that's that's like a no one bats an eye at that now. Right. Um, whereas pre-pandemic, speaking to investors, I'm like live stream clubs are gonna be a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. We think of it as an education club or a subscription was a harder um sell because it required a behavior change, you know, that might happen gradually, which is not gradual is not a friend of VC, right? They need quick. Right. right. So that's that's changed for sure. What yeah. what hasn't changed, and I think, you know, what we'll benefit from is people don't put education into their lives in the way that they do fitness and entertainment. We believe we believe education's not doesn't have that pop culture status the way that fitness and entertainment do is because it's not affordable. But what mm -hmm. if it was? Mm -hmm. If it was, would people incorporate, you know, learning modern skill sets in a live setting with people around the world? just as they do fitness and entertainment. I mean, right. I think this is yes. Right. Now that may take time. That's a behavior change, right? People are, we're so programmed, most of us to be like, oh, college ends at 21. And I guess we're just sort of bumbling through it for 80 years. Right. But I actually think the quality of everyone's life would be higher if we incorporated modern education at an affordable price into our lives, just like a Peloton subscription or a net. I mean, we aspire to Netflix that level, um, you know, that $10 a month, $14 a month, because we think Netflix transcends class, right? Whether you live in an affluent household or a non-affluent household, it's at a price point that most people can manage. And we think Netflix truly over delivers and under charges. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, Peloton for some people, especially with the hardware costs, I mean, it's perceived yeah. as pretty bougie, right? Yes, we don't yeah. want to be perceived that way. So, you know, we aspire, we aspire towards that price point, but we need scale for that. So that's a future. So right now it's 50 bucks a class, but in the future, we aim to have so many live classes going that you would pay 10 to 15 bucks a month for your household. Yeah. It'd be a household subscription and you would fit it in right beside Disney plus right beside yeah. Netflix, right yeah. beside, you know, your mirror subscription or Peloton. Yeah. It's so, it, I mean, I love your story because you from what I glean were on, a, you know, a very successful and accomplished path. You have a JD, you have an MBA, you had these very prestigious uh, degrees and you still got knocked down despite all of that accomplishment in terms of, you know, the, the, what was happening with the economic crisis, what happened with your investors. And so, what I love about what you're doing is I feel like you recognized the opportunities that you had and the doors that were opened for you based on, on your level of education and success. 
and thought of a way of kind of developing that into something that's just completely accessible and where it's not something, it's not about getting the letters, you know, uh, attached to your name or your signature. It's about the curiosity factor. And I think when you talk about investing, I'd love to dig into investing a bit because this is an area, you know, particularly we obviously have a bunch of different profile listeners, but the majority of our listeners are breadwinning women. Um, angel investing in particular and investing is just something that historically women are not as active in. And I don't want to say, I don't want to make a broad statement because of course there's exceptions. Um, but I do find that this is something where women want more access. They want more understanding. It is not a very warm and fuzzy industry for women to enter into. Um, the concept of angel investing can seem very daunting and overwhelming and, you know, uncertain. So what what is your experience there, both as raising as a woman and understanding angel investing? Like, what would you share with this community? Because it seems like it's such a driver to a wealth gap. Angel investing, if, you know, done well, which, you know, you could look in the tech industry, you could look out in Silicon Valley, and you can see like the same 10 to 20 people that just keep getting richer and richer and richer, right? So it's like, it's a very incestuous male dominated space in some ways. Well, this is, you know, this is the way I open my classes on angel investing. You know, we, we talk about why is it important to do and, and let's back up, right? Angel investing, startup investing, you know, venture investing as it's called is one asset class. It's a risky one, but it can be very high risk, very high return. I also say it can be very high risk no return. It's just one asset class. Um, but there's also asset classes like real estate, you know, public equities, um, currencies, art, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of mutual funds. There's a whole bunch of investment classes. And this is why I find investing so interesting and so important. And I share this in my class. Think of the job market as one place to make money. And by the way, in the job market, you're trading money for time. And if you're, you know, a woman, a person of color, then you're making, you know, 80 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar, 60, et cetera, right? Like you're in the job market trading time for money and you're getting discounted, you know, if you're of a particular gender, race, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? What I love about the real estate market, what I love about venture investing is if you are right and you make a decision that is right, the market, those markets do not care what gender you are, what color you are whether you have the experience to make that decision, if they like you personally or not, it's just like you get rewarded because you're in a market that's a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. You just are. So I would say sometimes with the exception of real estate, right? We've seen, I, I just saw some some articles recently where people would, you know, from open houses, remove any telltale signs that they were of color and they would see the prices on their house go higher or appraisals on their house, but maybe that was, anyway, sorry. Yeah, and and, and I, I wouldn't dispute that, but, but I'm saying once you can get in, right? Yeah. Once you can get into that investment, right? Once you have it, right. Then, then, then the result is determined by the market and whether you were right in your decision, mm. you know, to, to mm. get a hold of that asset. So I just, I just think these markets are more meritocratic than, mm -hmm. than the job market is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, so that's why I think diversifying and seeing the job market as one place to make money. And there's all these other places. I mean, 
I think real estate is a fantastic investment generally because it appreciates in value, but also, you know, you can use it for rental income. I mean, I have a lot of colleagues from law school and MBA women who are, you know, approaching their 40s now. And it's very clear to me that they're hitting the glass ceiling, mm-hmm. you know, and and that they're internalizing it. They think it's their fault. They're getting these, you know, so and they're and they're they're kind of locked into this idea. It's like, okay, well, my job is pretty good. I don't want to, you know, where else am I going to go anyway? But like, why is every male colleague around me getting promoted and I'm not? And they just sort of have to stomach this mm-hmm. treatment because because so much hasn't changed. You know, even the woman from Pinterest had to to sue. She's one of the most respected executives in tech. Yeah. You know, so if it happens to her, it, it, I see it happening to many of my friends that are, you know, working and in the corporate ladder setup. Right. And to me, if you can really kind of pull back and, and see that that is only one market to make money and you can, you know, start, you know, doing businesses on the side, startup has never been cheaper. You don't need to raise venture capital. There's a million things you can do without doing that. Um, so starting, you know, your, your side hustle, your good idea or, you know, starting to invest your money, these are the outs, right, mm-hmm. for that type of ceiling that we're working on, right, as yeah. a group of women. But, you know, I also think, too, controlling capital f- for women, people of color, like, we can march on Washington all we want, but you know what's really going to change things? When we control capital. Right. So I mean, that's got to be... Looking, looking what Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, Mackenzie... I was I'm, just thinking about her this morning. Like, what a class act. I mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but what do you... No. What's, what do you how do you read? Yeah, I mean, it just... she. First of all, she used a data-driven approach to understand which organizations were going to have the most impact for her investments, for her donations, uh, which... which organizations were best well run to utilize these funds appropriately and then moved quickly. Like she didn't drag her feet. She didn't make a big splash about it. I just, I I found it so, uh, something that's been known is that women do more philanthropic worth work, both time and money than our male counterparts. And there's just nothing bad that happens when women have more money. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have to agree. I have to agree. And I'm so inspired by what she's done. I, I really think education and access is about quality of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at the prices today of college, you know, it's such a barrier for people. And so what she's done is 100% changing lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank God for her. What a What a class act of a human being. I hope I meet her one day if she's you know, interested in, in investing in education and donating to education. It's, um, it's about quality of life in, yeah. in my view. And I think, I think she understands that, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I want to go back to what you were talking about the glass ceiling, because I am, so I read once that women, I think it was CNBC that women on average cap out their earnings at 44, whereas men on average cap out their earnings at 55. Um, and obviously there's compound facts for you know how women are disadvantaged both with our earnings our cost of healthcare and other items is higher than our male counterparts we live longer than our male counterparts um but there is this ceiling that you're talking about i am 
in it, frankly. Uh, I am 44 years old. I am struggling with where to go next. Um, it is very frustrating when you see the elevation of folks around you um, and you are so tied to this single source of defining success, both financially and intellectually, um, to, you know, we like, I do think there's more of a need for women to diversify their successful opportunities yes. than just with their job. Like that's a really meaningful perspective. Absolutely. The job market is just one place and you're, and, and for most women, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, you will be discriminated against. It's just at, at some point, it's just where we are. It's mm -hmm. just where our society is. And I've always looked for workarounds for that. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I really think, you know, that's where that's where it doesn't matter. You know, if I'm getting paid out on an investment, I'm getting paid this, as this guy too. Like right. for our for our intuition, right? And our risk taken from an investing perspective, we are making the same amount of money. And I, I like that, you know, that's that feels fair to me. Mm -hmm. And if you have a good idea, right? Shopify, all these tech SaaS platforms have made bringing your idea to life and the internet, you know, um, available. Well, if the world loves your idea, right, and you get validated, right, it's just a way there's, there's, you know, to me, side hustle and wealth are the ways out from, you know, this corporate ladder where a lot of people are going to get stuck. So that's why it's so interesting. Right. These, these streams of education are so interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's I to me it's one you're you're touching on this point of shit. If I stop earning at 44, right? Or can you know, stay plateau, let's say. Uh in a hundred year life. In a hundred year life, right. you plateau at 44. I mean And I don't actually I would love to retire sooner than 65. So mm -hmm. if I retire, like what 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 happens to the rest of my life? Like I've got to think, and I, I know there's a lot of women that think about board service or they think about, um, you know, like you're saying, side hustles, those types of things. But I do think investing can't be underestimated. I would love any tips that you think, you know, obviously it's so much through your coursework, but are there kind of top nuggets that you can think of to share with our audience about um how you approach investments. Like what are some of the key things you look for? Is it mission-driven companies? Is it the well, leadership? Well, 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 first let me start with, you know, I, I invest in things that I'm interested in, you know, that can, that should, I think should be everyone's lead because if you're interested in something, you're paying closer attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I think you're more likely to have a great result. So for example, I like art and architecture, right? And so that's led me to make certain real estate investments. I like the consumer and retail world, right? And I and I feel like I worked at one of the top, you know, most profitable apparel companies in the world for six years. And it taught me a lot about what's foundational to Lululemon success. Mm -hmm. And I find those traits mix, you know, in, in the Patagonias of the world and these other consumer brands. Um, and so I, I feel like I developed a lens there for, understanding what traits come together um, in a consumer company to make it stand out from any other consumer company. And so I like to invest there because I've been correct. Um, and I'm just drawing on my networks and experience to understand what works and then use my networks to help 
those companies. So um, the other thing, you know, when I moved to New York, I became, you know, really interested in modern art and street art. And then I found out about the Rubel family who, who started investing in street art, you know, 25 bucks a week. And they developed this huge um, collection of Keith Haring, um, uh, Basque, Jean-Michel Basquiat, like all this kind of, you know, art of the of the 70s and 80s, this street art that became extremely valuable. Well, art is an asset class, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so one, one thing I like to say is like, I think that you should be putting aside some money towards things that are interesting to you. Yeah. Um, so that's where, you know, that, where my money is, is aligned with my interests. Now, should it be a bit more diversified? Yes, it should. I mean, these are some of the mistakes that I've made along the way. I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make is not diversifying. Mm -hmm. Because for me, you know, I've backed up the bus, you know, in my early days of starting to venture invest, I backed up the bus, you know, on things I really believed in. Well, any number of things can go wrong. But even when they do well, if you've, if you've put all your liquidity into one thing that you believe in, then you don't have any other liquidity to pick other winners, mm-hmm. right? So you start to miss out and you're not diversified, but you actually miss out on other winners if you, you know, if you're, if you're good at this and sticking to your investment thesis. So that, that's mistakes that I've made is, you know, not diversifying enough. You're going to, in venture, you will lose money for sure. Cause mm-hmm. there's, there's, you can't control it. And, there's a million things that can go wrong. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not a financial advisor, but, you know, books I read on angel investing say don't put, put more than 10% of your net worth into the venture class asset. But I do think there's something to, you know, investing in assets that you're genuinely interested in. For me, it's consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do people buy and why? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, you know, I, I like ar- architecture and art. So that is, you know, shows up in real estate for me. Um, so, you know, if, you know, if you're interested in consumer as well, you can be, or tech, right? I mean, you can go to the public markets. There's, there's endless, you know, things to study and test. And the public markets too are great because you can test your investment theses with small amounts of money. You can trade, you know, in and out every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I say like getting into investing, I think should be partly like, what are you naturally interested in? Yeah. Yeah. Like a personal drive. You mentioned the term investment thesis. Is this something that you have your own personal kind of guidelines or, or guardrails of where you'll put your money, how much of it you'll kind of just like your comfort zone? Yeah. So, well, investment thesis, you know, we go over that in in my angels investing class and investment thesis is is a, you know, a fancier way of saying, what do you think is going to be successful in the future? What is going to come out? What kind of companies will be built to solve problems of the future? Um, and when I, when we learn about in, in developing your investment thesis, you know, my overall advice when you're first starting out is to basically stick to your knitting, right? Where have you spent your career, right? Mm-hmm. What area of expertise have you developed that you most likely understand and have knowledge about much more than anyone else does. Because when you have, like for me, spending 10 years in consumer and, you know, venture investing in law, you know, I've, I've, I've made certain investments where the thesis turned out to be correct, but I needed the 10 years of experience, you know, for me to see that that was going to happen. 
Right. right? So if I invest in consumer, I mean, depending on your role in Google, right? You know, if, if you're sales or ad tech or whatever it is, right, you will have developed a, a very, um, you know, pointed view of how an industry works. And my view is like, that's where I think you should start investing, whether mm-hmm. it's your capital or, or your time by consulting, you know, for equity instead of instead of cash. And that's kind of a whole really important thing that we go through in our in our angel investing class, because I've, I've made money that way. Um, yeah. You know, Jody Manel, who sold Live Kindly, um, she started out as a vegan media company. I didn't invest in it because I don't understand media. And the little bit that I did, I was like, oh, media investors don't even like media. Like they think Google and Facebook have cornered the market. But being con- from consumer, and she's building this huge vegan following so fast. My thesis was that she's either going to start her own vegan products and start selling them to her audience because it's a huge opportunity or she's going to be acquired as like a marketing arm Mm -hmm. for a vegan products where they don't have a following, but they have the products. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what happened. She Mm. was acquired by a huge vegan food conglomerate out of Switzerland to basically become the marketing arm. And she also sold the name to them, livekindly.com. And so she was a client that I took on equity. I was helping her raise money behind the scenes. She didn't have that language, you know, so investors didn't know I was there, but I was helping her navigate the process from, from like secret basically. Mm -hmm. And she did really, really well. But my thesis was, was like, I don't think she's going to become a big media company selling ad placements. I think she's going to eventually to make money, develop her own vegan products, or she's going to be acquired to sell vegan products. So that was my thesis, right? Mm-hmm. That's a thesis that I that I understood about what had been happening in consumer content to consumer is a, is a thing that right. happens in our industry, right? Yeah, Glossier and Goop did it. Yep, right. So it's well understood. D- develop a following first, sell a product later. So that's exa- That's an example that I use to say use your particular knowledge from your industry to help you in your first investments. Now you you might be interested in crypto, right? Mm-hmm. But I never recommend starting off in something you don't have understand. any understanding of because yeah. you you don't understand the industry dynamics. Understanding the industry dynamics will help you predict what's going to be successful. And that's, you know, an example of what I had. And then in the main course, we talk, we start to talk about, you know, developing your investment criteria. Once you've honed in on the industry that you have a specific expertise and network in, now let's develop a criteria list, both qualitative and quantitative. What are the factors that you think combine to create a successful outcome in this particular space? Mm. And for Lululemon, you know, the, the combination of factors, I would say, is pretty specific what they're doing, right? It's both qualitative and quantitative. And that's what I look for in consumer. On the qualitative side, they, they stand for something that inspires people around the world. Um, giving without the expectation of receiving. They're always doing free yoga. I mean, I don't, that's yeah. not really well known, but like, but the founder really believed yoga is a gift for people. And I actually came to yoga during the hardest times of my life. So I understand that it is a gift to yeah. people. Um, you know, we stood for, you know, fitness as part of the foundation to your happiness. And it should be every a, a daily part of your life. People can get around that, right? So what do you stand for? Do you inspire your customers? Do you inspire your staff? you know, product, are you function over fashion? Um, does your product have a job to do for people? Is it, you know, is it a more of a need to have rather than a nice to have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the quality, 
on the quantitative side, what do your product margins look like, right? Lululemon has a very, very high product margin. It's like 72%. Wow. The highest in the apparel industry, right? Yeah. So, you know, how, how easily can you scale, right? So developing your, your thesis, right? And your particular investment criteria down, you know, we go from macro, like what industry are you interested in? And do you have expertise in mm-hmm. down to micro? Okay. Now that you've circled off where your expertise and networks lie, now that we've circled off where you think you should be investing based on what you know more than anyone else, then it's like, what is your investment criteria? What do you think combines to create success in this particular space, whether it's fintech, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's in CPG, mm-hmm. whether it's in um, retail marketplace, right? Which, you know, in consumer, those are two different things. Consumer packaged goods, you yep. know, like uh, Vega, plant-based, that, that's a completely different retail model than, you know, an Etsy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a marketplace for other, or Chewy.com, which is a marketplace for other people's goods. So even when you get into FinTech, um, you know, or ad tech, right? Now there's even sub-markets. Like when we they, really yeah. get into like getting down to like, what, what do you know? What area do you know based on experience? Mm-hmm. And what I know based on experience is vertical brand. Mm-hmm which is like a Lululemon, a Canada Goose, um, a Patagonia, a Native Shoes. So that's where, you know, I stick to my knitting and it seems to work out. So that's so smart. And I I mean, I I think a lot of people feel that way, whether they're investing in the stock market, right? You get behind companies that you're excited about or brands that you have some sort of, you know, affiliation or admiration for. Um, But when you talk about I think a network map is probably one of the most powerful tools that I've ever created. And I I created a course that I took at Northwestern in terms of just reminding myself who I know, who I've met, uh, who has introduced me to them, um, where they're at, you know, when was the last time we connected? It's just such a valuable tool. And what you're recommending is kind of an extension of that. It's it, it it's who you know, it's what you know, and really getting intentional about that versus, you know, this idea of like I made my first angel investment last year, uh, in the beginning of the year uh, of 2020. I guess it's still 2020. I'm just pretending we fast forwarded into 2021 now, um, but I actually joined up on that initiative with two other women who had made investments previously. And so I had the privilege of, one, listening to some of the questions they were asking to get familiar with some of the terminology. And two, we wrote smaller checks because we were going in as a combined unit. Um, And I found that super helpful. But that is because there's women that I know in my network that are doing those things. Um, I had another woman in my network who previously invested in the company that we invested in. I was able to ask her kind of, what was your process? What were your hesitations? You know, am I thinking about this the right way? To me, that is not necessarily a network most people would have. And so what you're doing with your work is really kind of getting people to be more intentional about their guides and their opportunities and their passions and aligning with that. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, when you're, we talk about, we talk about sourcing deals basically in, um, in the course as well. And one thing that I want to land with, with people that join the course is 
angel investing is about developing your network, mm -hmm. um, partly for deal sourcing, um, but also due diligence as well, right? And also just learning, right? So this angel investing, this world is not just about, you know, risking your, your capital for companies that you believe in, that you have an expertise in that space. It's also about developing your networks of other people that are in this space, other angel investors, um, to get deal flow, but also, you know, to learn mm -hmm. because, you know, what I teach in the class, I mean, I've, it's taken me 10 years to learn it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and I want to say, listen, like I'm not, you know, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant to the U S I come from Canada. I didn't have a network in any of this in raising money mm -hmm. in angel investing. It's something that you can build. I genuinely don't have it. I don't come from any kind of family that, you know, and no one did this inside of Lululemon. Like no one was doing this in mm -hmm. angel investing at all. I couldn't find one person. Mm. So, you know, you have to, you can build it from scratch, but it's not hard. And I, what I found was once I had one investment under my belt, native shoes, um, anytime I went looking for another one, I was, you know, taken more seriously. Um, and so it was really hard to get into that one. I had to kind of hang around the hoop at native shoes for about a year before I could get in. But once I had one, especially that people recognized in the consumer industry, um, it made it easier. All of a sudden I was kind of more legit. Mm. And, and so it, it was like, you know, it, it, it was hard to crack open that door on that first investment. But after yeah. that, it sort of, it became, it felt actually kind of easy. Interesting. And, and this is what we talk about too, about, you know, there's all these benefits I find to angel investing. One of them is, of course, you can make a lot of upside if you're right, right? Life-changing, life-changing yeah. for you and your family, if you're right. But you also meet a lot of great people, a lot of thoughtful, smart people with expertise in networks, right? And what I've found from angel investing is the serendipity that comes with it is great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, it was serendipitous that Jody Manel was referred to me. She, you know, has a vegan media company, Native, is, Native Shoes is a vegan shoe company. So she was referred to me by the founder. And not only did I get to, you know, consult to her for equity, she got acquired, she's now coming on as Class Rebel's second instructor. You know, it's, 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 there's so much serendipity. I got a board seat on Native, um, you know, which I did for three years before I moved to New York. So um, there's a lot of serendipity that can come from angel investing, whether it's consulting opportunities, other investing opportunities, opportunities for friendship. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just another reason to be involved. Yeah, I love. I mean, you're just you're such a wealth of of pragmatic. Uh, approachable and non-intimidating advice in a space that I think is, uh, you know, intentionally built for exclusivity and it has kept the control in the hands of few. And I just love your mission to break down that wall, break down that barrier, um, drive more comfort, more ease, more access, more confidence in all of these measures to, to essentially anyone um, so thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I say us always as if it's not me and my dog here. It's <laughs> the big team at Working Wife Happy Life. Um, and I, I just, for any of our users that want to get involved, they want to learn more about the programming, they want to sign up for some of your amazing courses, where should they find you? Yeah, classrebel.com. Um, you can go through our course outlines, what we're going to learn in Angels 101, if that's your interest. If you're raising money for your startup, I would recommend Fundraising 101. 
But if you go to classrebel.com, you're going to see our course outline. They're pretty detailed, so it'll take you through what you're going to go through. And while we always recommend signing up live as the, the spiciest, sauciest experience from people, you know, with people all around the world, we recognize that people have kids and jobs. And so there's also the demand option, but it is a pay once, attend forever model. So whichever way you come first, live, on demand, whatever it is, you you can you can continue to learn on this topic and come back over and over again live. So you pay once, it's 50 bucks. And then you always have access to the freshest tapes, like the freshest class, because the market moves, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to stay fresh. Right. You can always come back live, you know, a year later. People do it all the time. People really take advantage of coming back live for free um, because it helps them cement the information in their head. Yeah. It's I a practice. It. It's a practice. It's yep. a practice. Yep. And once you learn it, especially angel investing or consulting for equity, once you learn this, you can use it for your whole entire life, your mm -hmm. whole life, right? That's you get capped out at your job, <laughs> take some consulting for equity on the side, do some angel investing. Cause you know what? That's what's changed my life. Yeah. It hasn't been trading time for many, you know? I love it. I love it. This is such, I, and I am, this will probably air in January. I'm going to hold myself accountable over these next two weeks when I have time off of work. I'm going to jump onto some courses. I know there's a course coming up in January that you have a lot of colleagues signed up for. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your efforts and your drive and your ambition and your willingness to share this uh, as freely and as openly as you do. It's amazing. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on today. Thank you. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. 